Hi there, this is Winston Male, and I welcome you to Transparency Talks, a podcast from the Center for Collaborative Investigative Journalism, CCIJ. In the podcast, which focuses on issues of truth, transparency, trust, and the people within the CCIJ community, we speak to different journalists from different parts of the world. And our guest today is Christina. Well, the surname, uh, is, is it, how do you pronounce your surname, Christina? It's um, Christina Orishnik. Oh, there we go. Well, Christina is uh, a journalist and a researcher. And uh, welcome to the post, uh, podcast, Christina. Uh, how has been your day so far? Um, it's been great. Just working on teaching materials for the next semester because I also teach at the local university and a little bit on my PhD project. And uh, where are you speaking from today? I'm currently in Montpellier in the south of France, um, where I'm, well, working for the Institute of Development Research and also now for the um, Ecole Polytechnique in Montpellier. And uh, how is the weather today? Actually, it's a bit weird. It's cold and rainy, which for the south of France at this time of the year is very um, uncharacteristic. So it's a bit uh, hot. Really? How is it on your yeah. end? Yeah, here in Malawi, it's it's hot. Uh, normally, um, we are in a we are in a, in a season that is hot. It's characterized by hotness from Ma, from August up to December. It's always hot. Well, uh, Christina, just to let's begin from the the, the beginning, so to say. So, uh, how did you start your 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 career? I mean, how and where did it all start? Especially we are specifically looking at the your, your, your media-related career, your journalism career? Um, so, but I've been writing since I was really little. Like, I wrote for my school newspaper, then for my university newspaper. But um, my career as a journalist, an environmental journalist, effectively, only started when I started writing about my PhD project. So I started my PhD in 2018 about the hydrological modelling of the Mekong Delta. And um, after a while, I just realized that there's so much about this project that I find fascinating and that I want to share with um, basically a larger audience. Because for my PhD, I do have to write scientific papers, but I know that those will be read only by a very narrow scientific audience. Like I wrote a paper recently about uh, comparing different um classifiers using artificial intelligence for land cover monitoring on a cloud computing platform. And while this is interesting to a certain degree, I know that there's going to be a handful of researchers who are going to read it, but nobody else. But the region in which I work is so fascinating and has so many complex questions and problems that um, I just really wanted to, to share it with more people. Now, now you have just told me that uh, it appears good you you have um, a bias towards uh, uh, environmental science. Uh, why is that so? Sorry, can you repeat that? Yeah, I'm saying it shows you've got a bias, or you 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 are interested more in environmental science. Why is that so? Oh, because. With my environmental science, I just think that it's one of the most pressing issues that we have at the moment with the various factors of global change, um, be it climate change, but also um, land cover change with the construction of infrastructure like hydropower power plants. 
And um, what I also really like are the methods that are available for illustrating various stories. So for example, I wrote an article recently for a journal called The Parametric Press, which is based on interactivity. So I downloaded satellite images and um, created series of water levels, for example, that users can um, interact with. So they can use sliders, they can zoom in on particular areas of the data um, to sort of explore for themselves what I'm talking about in the article. And I think that is something that modern day internet users, especially because most people read the news online these days, I think, um, really appreciate and gives a potential for better exploring those fairly complex topics. Um, now, your, your, your love for environmental science, and then in, here you are also linking it to journalism. Uh, how are you managing these two? I mean, the love for environmental science and also the love for writing. It's, it balances each other, actually, because environmental science is fascinating, but can also become extremely overwhelming in my experience. So, for example, I'm building a hydrological model on a computer, and there are days when I sit in front of the computer all day, every day, just trying to get the code right. And um, to contrast that with writing an article for a broader audience, who um, don't know many of the particulars and who don't need to know them in order to understand the overarching issues. Um, it's just a very nice contrast to sort of also illustrate to myself that what I'm doing, even though it's just a tiny, tiny piece um, of the larger scientific community is important and does have an influence on um, something much larger. Uh, one, I should say the, 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 the only article of yours that I've read so far, uh, is the one called Drought of the Sinking Delta. What is this story about? What really triggered the idea behind this? Okay, so the Drought of the Sinking Delta has a twofold motivation. On the one hand, I wanted to illustrate that climate change can bring about contradictory processes. So a lot of people, when they think about climate change, think the world is getting warmer. That's about it. Maybe the storms are getting more severe. There are wildfires like we've seen now in the US, for example, very um, much publicized. But when you're research actually digging into the, um, into the details of all that's happening, you can see a lot of contradictory things. And I wanted to illustrate that in the Mekong Delta, which is sinking at the same time as it's drying out more and more. So usually in the Mekong Delta, which is in Cambodia and Vietnam in Southeast Asia, you have a lot of um, rice, cult uh, rice agriculture, vegetable agriculture, and this entire agricultural system relies on, um, relies on the, the flood season. So normally between July and, um, and November, you've got an annual monsoon flood. But far from being a catastrophe, that is actually like an integral part of the agricultural system. So um, the groundwater is recharged, farmers can plant rice in the nutrient-rich mud that is left behind after the flood. However, in um, recent years, the flood has been shifting. It's been later, it's been shorter, and so there hasn't been enough water during the dry season to irrigate or to pump. And um, at the same time, in the like sea 
adjacent part of the delta, the ground has been lowering due to groundwater abstractions. And so there, the problem is that seawater is pushing farther inland and salinity because of the seawater is also pushing farther inland. But it's completely contradictory because usually you would think if it's sinking, there's more water, not too little. Mm -hmm. So this contradiction was one reason why I was particularly interested in that. And the other reason was to illustrate that um, communities in poorer countries and countries that do not have the infrastructure to deal with much of this um, are hardest hit actually by climate change at the moment. Uh, and I must say that uh, uh, I liked the way you, you know, you spiced the whole article with some pictures. Um, how did you manage to do that? There are a number of pictures. How and why did you, I mean, illustrate your, 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 your write-up with, uh, with pictures? Because I think that just lends the article an immediacy. Because on the one hand, you do have all the scientific data showing um, what is happening, that the water levels are sinking, that the Georgias are becoming more frequent, so there are graphs and and satellite images to illustrate that. But on the other hand, if you actually see photographs of the communities on the ground, of the people, of the children that it's affecting standing in the middle of the dry field that their parents can't irrigate, I think that gives the entire thing a much more human dimension and you actually see what those people are dealing, what those people are dealing with and um, you can more, like you can re relate to them more, I think. I also see that you love editing videos, working in Photoshop and designing your own websites and logos. Uh, briefly tell me something about your love for media design. Well, it's basically exactly that. So again, it's a sort of balance to the more scientific aspect of my work. But I do make videos sort of illustrating for a layman's audience how satellite analyses work, what my PhD project is about. I uh, got a drone for my birthday last year. And I do film with it a lot so sort of aerial images of my study area and where I'm working, because I think with the sort of right captivating images, it's much easier to understand fairly complex processes that are of work. Well, you've just plunged into journalism not so long ago, maybe it has been two to three years. And uh, have there been any moments uh, during this period where you say oh, these moments were really rewarding? or particularly rewarding? Um, yes. So I shared my article about the Georgia of the Sinking Delta with a lot of people in the scientific community. And I actually had several of them reaching out to me and saying that they in turn shared it with um, people in their like circle of friends, family, and that they said that um, based on this, it's much easier to understand what our work is all about. Because as a scientist, it can be very um, hard to sort of talk to someone about what you're doing and why it matters. But I think by having this sort of communication between the scientific community and basically everyone else who is interested in these issues, it becomes much, much easier to sort of validate your work. And mm -hmm. I'm glad that that's been partly successful, at least with this particular article. Ah, perfect. Now, aside from rewarding moments, I know as much as you do, uh, Christina, that journalism uh, also has some challenges. Can you tell me some of these challenges that you've faced so far in your in your work? Mm, I think the biggest 
challenge that I've faced so far has been access to data. Because um, apart from the project on the Mekong, I also work on a few other um, environmental projects, one of them in uh, Bulgaria, another one in Tanzania, actually. And in Bulgaria, especially, we've had the problem that there has been data, but the authorities and institutes on the ground have not been willing to share it. And so we've had to go about um, trying to get it through the European Union, through people on the ground, through sort of scraping data of various websites that offer real-time data. And I mean, once we've all had it together, it offers a very coherent picture of what's been happening. But just getting to that point has been unnecessarily complicated and was one of the biggest challenges that we've had so far that I've personally faced. Mm. Uh, now, um, I understand you are also a member of CCIJ and uh, I gather that uh, you joined or you decided to join after some friend of yours recommended the organization to you. What do you yes. think makes this organization appealing? A network of journalists that are truly international. Like, I don't, I mean, even though I work for an institute that is very much involved in development research and has centers all over the world in, in countries like um, Senegal, like Cambodia, like Vietnam, Thailand, I haven't really had the chance to talk much to journalists who are located in different parts of the world who have much different experiences than I do. And for me, the CCIJ has been that like that's the biggest attraction for me to actually be able to talk to people who are in Malawi and who have, for example, like you, <laughs> and yeah, who yeah, who have a completely different life story behind them, who work in completely different circumstances, who are like focused on different issues, but whose work is just as captivating and as interesting, and from which I can learn a lot. Um, and that's for me, the CCIJ is is like that's the key. Ah, thanks so much. Now, what are your future plans, uh, journalistically speaking, of course? Um, well, while I'm finishing up my PhD, I do want to um, keep working on various environmental projects. I'm doing that right now. I want to keep writing articles, both about my PhD subject and about different other environmental subjects that I can dive into from where I am at the moment. As we all know, traveling and going onto the ground with COVID is a little bit difficult at the moment. So I work a lot with um, satellite data to just sort of illustrate what's happening in various parts of the world. I work with various colleagues scattered across Europe and across um, Southeast Asia to just sort of um, get onto issues that are located there. But after my PhD, I would like to devote a bigger part of my time to this. So I'm thinking about um, becoming both an independent environmental researcher and a journalist at the same time so that I can work on this, actually travel to the various regions where the issues are located. And that's the plan for now. All right, perfect. Now, um... I mean, you've been in, in journalism not, not so long, not so many years, but now looking at the ups and downs that you've experienced so far, uh, would you recommend this job to somebody else? I mean, would you tell them that, well, I think you should join journalism? I think it very much depends on the person, where their interests and expectations lie. Like the ups and downs, 
the ups are there are periods where you have an incredible amount of work to go through where everything is happening at once and you don't know where to turn and then in return there are periods where things are much slower where you're waiting for responses or looking for new projects to work on or trying to sort of get that data and I think that in order if I know the person if I know someone who's young and who's interested in the world and wants to go out then I would have to talk to them about what working in journalism actually involves and what the advantages and drawbacks are and if it's compatible with what they want out of life and with what they expect of a job and what they're willing to give to a job as well. All right. Uh, is there anything that you'd like to say um, as far as your journalism career is concerned uh, as we come up to, to, I mean, to the end of the, 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 the interview? I think um, what I would like to say is that to me personally, the journalistic community has been incredibly welcoming. Um, and I've, but I've come to it from a very different um, sort of route. I didn't study journalism at all. I have a degree in English, but that's just because I was interested in it at the time. My degrees are in environmental science, in environmental engineering, in um, ecology and conservation, basically. But I think that having people from different disciplines um, having people from different backgrounds, different professional backgrounds as well, is one of the biggest boons that any investigation, any journalistic project, any team involving journalists and data scientists can have. And um, I'm happy that I've had access to a community like this through my work and through journalism itself. Oh, great. Now, by the way, how can our listener find you? I mean, where are you active on, on social media? Where can they find your work or where can they find you? Um, I'm on LinkedIn. So that's my main platform currently. I'm also on Twitter. So just search for Christina Rischnik. It's not a very common last name. That's a new one. Um, and yeah, that's basically it. All right. Uh, it was a pleasure to talk to you, Christina, and many thanks for sparing your precious time to join us today. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Thank you. Well, on that note, we come to the end of Transparency Talks, a podcast from the Center for Collaborative Investigative Journalism, CCIJ. Uh, this is a podcast that focuses on issues of truth, transparency, trust, and the people within the CCIJ community. And of course, we speak to different journalists from different parts of the world. This has been Winston Murray. Take care.